going through the book of Philippians. That's why I've asked you to read Philippians. In Philippians chapter 3 and verse 14, it says, I press on. Everybody say, I press on. I press on. There you go. You all saying it now. I press on toward the goal, amen, to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Not only are you called to be a champion, I'm going to talk about advancing through the pain because it's hard to advance through the pain. You know, how do I press on with all the hatred, all the violence, all the pandemic, all the obstacles, all, all the sickness, all the pain, the economic crisis? How do I press on? We're going to talk about that because it's so easy to give up. It's so easy to, to let depression and, and these things just knock the wind out of your sails. I mean, there's people, y'all thinking about quitting. What do you mean quitting? Whatever, fill in the blank. God didn't call us to quit. He called us to press on. Let's pick it up where we left off last week, Philippians 1, 12, and 13. <clears throat> he says, now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. See, the Apostle Paul, who was sent to, to the Gentiles, he was put in prison in chains for Christ so you and I can be here today. If the apostles, if the disciples, if the church didn't stand up against the tyrannic government, the government that was, was, was trying to suppress Christianity, if they did not stand up for Christ, we wouldn't have church today. So guess what? They passed the torch. You now have the torch. It's your turn and my turn to carry the flame, whether Jesus comes today, whether he comes tomorrow, whether he comes 10 years from now. It's our job to carry the flame. It's our job to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of who Jesus is. That's what it's about. So Paul, he was put into prison, but it didn't stop him from uh, spreading the gospel. It didn't stop him from penetrating into the lives of those. It didn't prevent him from doing his mission. He did not put up with separation of church and state. If y'all think the church needs to be separated from state, y'all ain't thinking right, because where does the state get its morals from? If it's not getting its morals from the B-I-B-L-E, Anybody here? I mean, you, you got to think. Well, you know, the Constitution says separation. No, it does not. You've not read the Constitution. It was a letter from Jefferson. And it was only a statement that was pulled out of a letter. And if you read the context of the statement, the statement was trying to protect the church from the government, not the government from the church. you got to read it. They used to put it out in totality till 1947, and then something happened, something took place in our government, they took that out, and then they poisoned generations saying, separation of church and state. Separation. Tell the Apostle Paul that. As he was ministering to the palace guard, as he was trying to get to Caesar. Read your Bible. The Bible has nothing to do with separation of church and state. The Bible has to do with setting up a heavenly kingdom. 
Man. So we learn this from Philippians. <clears throat> First thing should be in your notes. The Apostle Paul was a convict in prison. What? Well, I'll tell you why that's there. Because even though that he was in prison, he didn't look at himself as less than. See, you might have some problems, you might have some issues that you're going through, and you look at yourself as being less than. No matter what you're going through, you are not less than. The Apostle Paul was not ashamed of God, even in prison. He was a Christ follower. He was, he was a leader. He was convicted to follow God. This entire letter was written in prison. And if you know anything about what was going on, I mean, not only was he in jail, he was in chains in jail. See, he, he, he took what he had in his cell and he made it flourish. He wrote letters to the church. While in jail, he writes, I can do all things in this letter through Christ Jesus who strengthens me. He's in jail. He's in chains in jail. And he writes, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. My God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Written in the same letter. While he was in chains. In prison. Y'all in chains in prison? Just saying. See, most people, what they do is they want to hide their problems. They want to hide their troubles because if they hide them and they don't reveal them, they feel that they look more spiritual to other people, so they wear a mask. There's a false teaching that says this. If you're really strong in faith, you're going to magically wise above all of your problems, and you're not going to have all these troubles or problems. That's a lie. That is not true at all. That's not biblical. And now this is the thing. I don't believe in, in going out and giving everybody else's business, but what you need to do is you, let, you need to let somebody know who's more spiritual than you what your problems are. Why? Well, first of all, they're more spiritual than you. Second of all, since they are more spiritual than you, they're probably not brother or sister bucket mouth. Third of all, since they're more spiritual than you, they're not brother or sister bucket mouth, what they're going to do is they're going to go to God to give you counsel. And the Bible says a wise man receives counsel from wise men. Just because you went to school and you have a degree doesn't make you wise. I know some people that have doctorate's degrees. Matter of fact, had a really good friend of mine had four doctorate's degrees. Still, you know, if, we were, if he was still alive today, he would still be a good friend, but I would tell him like I've told him before, he was an educated idiot. Because he used his education and his knowledge that he learned from regular academic schools above God's knowledge and God's wisdom. And the Bible says that's foolish. So, we need to go to people so that way we can release these things. We can hear from the Lord because a lot of times when you're in the middle of your problem, your situation, you can't hear. Your ears are plugged up. They're stopped up. See, the existence or the non-existence of your problems in your life is not a sign of spiritual maturity. has nothing to do with it. Why can't we just be real with one another? 
You know, we have a problem with that. Oh, don't let the neighbors know. That's what I used to hear growing up when I lived at my grandmother's house. Oh, be quiet. The neighbors are going to find out. So what? Let's quit lying to the neighbors and let's just be ourselves. Maybe the neighbors can help us. So we take that mentality and we bring it into church. Well, don't let Pastor Misty find out. You know, she finds out she's going to come. She's going to talk with me. She's going to pray with me. And I'm going to feel about that big. And I know she's looking down upon me. I know she is because she's so spiritually up there. That's not true. That's your perception of something that's false. She's put into authority and she's put into a place given not by Pastor Rick. She's put in authority, put into a place given authority by God. The call is not my call, it's her call that was given to her by God. Your call is not my call, it's your call given to you by God. And you're responsible for your call just like I'm responsible for my call. You remember when Jesus, when he was uh, with the disciples and they, they got into a boat, he was really tired, he fell asleep, the storms came and they, they came up so high and they were hitting so hard, he was sleeping, he was chilling, but they were tripping, they were tripping. All of a sudden the di disciples said, Master, don't you care if we die? So in the middle of the storm, they didn't trust Jesus. This shows me that Jesus had problems just like we have. He dealt with the same type of issues we deal with. And guess what? He didn't get tribal immunity. And either do we. That might work on Survivor. But that don't work on Thriver. Doesn't happen. In John 16, 33, Jesus said this. He said, in the world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you're experiencing or going through. Don't let your trouble get you down because Jesus has overcome the world. He has overcome it all. What does that mean? It means right in the middle of your trouble, you've got someone who can help you out. That's what that means. Right in the middle of your trouble. Ah, you know, this is what we do. <clears throat> Gloom, despair, and agony on me. Deep, dark, depression, excessive misery. If it wasn't for bad luck, I'd have, you know, we have hee-haw fate. Instead of having hee-haw faith, remember, I don't have to fear because Jesus has overcome the world and greater is he who lives in me than he who's in the world and I can do all things through Christ Jesus who strengthens me, and I'm the head and not the tail, and I'm above and not beneath. These are promises in the Bible for the believer. So in our times of trial, in our times of tribulation, in these things, we need to charge. We don't need to cower down. We need to move forward. We need to be taking ground. Lord, I'm going to say this. If you're a Democrat or a Republican, you're wrong. You need to be a Christian because you are not a citizen of the United States. You're an ambassador. You're a citizen of heaven. If you're yelling for Joe Biden or you're yelling for Trump, you're wrong. 
You need to be yelling for Jesus. If you yell for Jesus as much as you yell for the political whatever, man, you might even be born again. Anyway, see law. So we have this mindset in marriage that if we were really spiritual, we would never have any problems and we'd never have any arguments. Granted, if I was more like Christ and Leah was more like Christ, we would walk in better harmony and unity. That's true. But the issue is we're not as much like Christ as he is. So we don't walk in as much harmony and unity as he does. Did you get that? It didn't mean that you were less or more spiritual. It just meant you walked more like him. The more I walk like him. See, you don't, if you don't think you're going to have any trouble in your marriage, I was going to say, yeah, don't get married. <laughs> trouble, 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 trouble. <laughs> Pastor, we've never argued. You probably don't. You probably work all the time and don't see them. They probably spend all the time with the kids and you guys don't see each other. Because the moment that you guys start hanging out, let me just throw some scripture. 1 Corinthians 7, 28 says, but those who marry will face many troubles in this life. So if you're telling me you don't have any troubles in your marriage, you're telling God he's a liar. Why are you telling me that you don't have any troubles? Because you're putting on that mask that we talked about earlier. I want to look spiritual in front of you. I'm going to tell you what, sister, brother. Lee and I, we have problems. We do. But when we have problems, you know what we do? They last for a little while. Because one of us comes to ourselves. It's usually Leah. And says he's right. No, no. One, one of us comes to ourselves before the other and out of love approaches the other person in true humility. Whether it's myself or whether it's her. Doesn't mean we want to hear that right away. Get away from your holy one, you know. I mean, doesn't mean that that's where we want to be, but that's where it starts. God starts in love. And when that love is extended, then all of a sudden... Now, I'll tell you, some of the arguments and stuff we had when we first started, especially when we didn't have Christ, it lasted a whole long time. <laughs> I remember sleeping on the couch going, I'm going to teach her a lesson. You know what it taught me? It taught me that the couch is not comfortable. <laughs> and, and after... And well, this is what, and if I stayed as prideful as I was for a longer period of time, it taught me I need to get a better couch. <laughs> well, I'm going to, I'm just going to go ahead and rabbit trail on this one. There was one time and, and it wasn't that I was really, really mad, but I was, you know, we had our pit bull who's gone on to be with, uh, whoever, um, God, who <clears throat> has passed away about a year ago now. And um, as, you know, used to sleep right between us. And man, well, first, she started out at the, at the bottom of the bed. And everything was fine. Then all of a sudden, somewhere during the night, she crawled between us and put her back on one of us and her feet on the other and just stretched out and pushed. <laughs> so finally... Leah wouldn't do, and I, every time I did something about it, I'd be in trouble. So I'm like, it's either the dog or me. 
So I go to another bedroom, and I sleep in another bed for a month. Guess what? She never said a word. The dog remained in the bed, and I came back too. Everybody, I don't care who you are, has some type of problem, right? Jesus told us this, if we build our house upon the rock, when the wind comes, when the rain comes, when the storm comes, we're going to stand and we'll overcome the storms of life. See, the reason why you're going to have problems is th- in your marriage is this. You're dealing with two people, with two different minds, with two different desires, with two different wants, and they don't always line up. And I remember a story I heard, well, I probably heard it before Bible college, but uh, the last time I remember hearing it was Bible college, was this guy was uh, stranded on this island. And he was by himself, and some rescuers come up, and uh, they go to rescue him. And he's got three little houses he built. And they're like, well, what's this one right here? He's like, well, that's my house. That's where I live. Well, what are these other two? Well, this is, this is, the, this is the church I go to. Well, then he's like, well, what's the other one? He goes, well, that's the church I used to go to. <laughs> so even by yourself, you're going to have some conflict of interest. And some of you guys can relate to me with this one. Is when a woman says she doesn't care where she wants to eat, it's a lie. Honey, what do you want tonight? Oh, it doesn't matter, whatever. All right, what about uh, Costa Nostra? No, no, I had Italian this afternoon. And I, you know. What about Costa del Sol? No, Mexican, my stomach's a little bit. But, uh, you know, by the time I get through 15 places we can go to, I'm like, honey, where do you want to go? Oh, it doesn't matter. <laughs> I'm just saying, y'all know what I'm talking about. So when you go to, say, a restaurant, go to, go to make sure it's one she does not like, just say, well, you know, I want to go there, so where do you want to go? She'll, she'll eventually give up and tell you what she wants to do. <clears throat> See, it's okay to have problems, and this should be in your notes. Our spiritual maturity is measured by our response to problems not, our, not the absence of them. Your spiritual maturity is based upon how you responded to the person that cut you off this morning coming to church. Not whether the person cut you off or not. You know, I use that one a lot because that one used to get me a lot. It doesn't get me like it used to, but it did. It got me a lot. Like when I first became a youth pastor like 26 years ago, 20, yeah, and I had the kids in the car, Josh was a baby, Leah was in the passenger seat, you know, we had a Volkswagen Jetta, 1986 Volkswagen Jetta, GL, GL, good looking. <laughs> anyway, 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 so we had this, thing, and we were at 40th and Waterman, ready to climb the mountain to go, to, go up to uh, the cabin where we lived. We lived up in the mountains at the time. Well, there's a car right next to us. Well, right next to me was a curb, some grass, a sidewalk, and a fence. I'm in the slow lane. When he proceeds to take off and I proceed to take off, he moves into my lane. Man, I'm... Oh, no. He pulls 
over to another road. Now, you gotta, you got to understand, this is Southern California, San Bernardino County, and this area right here was gang-infested. Okay? It was. I'd jump out of the car. Well, before I did that, another stupid thing, turned off the car. The keys of my, I held them out like this, dropped them. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> I jump out of the car. And so I go, and I'm, you know, just, and I'm starting to give him down the road. And as I looked down, it said, power to serve, serve the Lord your God. With a... I felt this small. I just looked at him, said, I apologize, turned around, picked up my keys, and took off. It's not whether you have a problem or not, it's how you handle the problem that really counts. And as a youth pastor, I handled it horribly. But you have to understand, my life before I became a Christian was horrible. I was not a good person. I was kind of evil. And so I responded the only way I knew how. I, I, I became born again, and within three months of becoming born again, I became a youth pastor. So I didn't have a whole lot of stuff to pull from. All I had to pull from was I love God, he loved me, and I didn't know too much. <laughs> and I responded in a way I shouldn't have, but over the years, I've changed. I want you to take a look how Paul responded. He didn't whine about the situation that he was in because in the situation he was in, it was advancing the gospel. He found out in the midst of all the bad, if he changed his perspective, then all of a sudden he turns it into good. So what we need in the church is we need to have a change of perspective. We need to change the way we're looking at things. See, so what do you, what do, you do when trouble comes? You need to ask yourself that. How do you handle your issues? And I'm going to say the way you got to handle them is change your perspective. So the next thing I think we learn in Philippians is this. Instead of asking why, we should be asking what. What's the next step, Lord? What do I need to do? See, too many people, they become absorbed in the, why, God, why me, why now? Why, 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 why? Why? And that'll jack you up. See, Paul could have said this. He could have said, Lord, I heard about your deliverance of Peter in Jerusalem and how the angels led him out. Why not me? But Paul didn't say that. See, the moment that we begin comparing our journey of faith with someone else's journey of faith, it opens the door for the flesh. It opens the door for the enemy to start attacking us with jealousy doubt, unbelief, with bitterness. <laughs> it's not about you, them, and God. It's about you and God. It's about them and God. See, why opens the door for discouragement and defeats faith? Let's take an example of healing. Healing is always a great example. Over the years, I've seen so many people get healed and walk in their healing. I mean, I've seen growths just fall off of people's body. And I mean, I've even said, why? God, why isn't it happening now? What, you know, what, why, why? You know, I, I shouldn't have been asking God that. I should, be, I should have been asking God, what do I need to do? And listen. 
And then when I hear, do what he tells me to do. So what happens is, is this, is sister or brother, you know, bucket mouth, newly Christian, whatever you want to call them, they come in and they're up front and they, the elders lay hands on them and all of a sudden they're better, man. They, they come back with a doctor's report, said they were healed of stage four cancer. Everybody's going, wow, and shouting and praising and everything like that. So all of a sudden, brother and sister super spiritual have a problem. And they say, well, bucket mouth got healed. I'm going to get healed. Because if God's going to do it for them, he's going to do it for me. He's no respecter of persons, right? And especially more because I'm so spiritual. And they're a big gossip. So you come on up here. You don't get what you think that you should get. And you start complaining. Start comparing yourself. You're allowing sin to... Maybe, maybe God wants to do something different in you a different way. Maybe they needed it this way, but maybe you needed another way. Miss Peggy, I'll never forget her, her uh, knee surgeries. She was in her 90s. She had knee surgeries. For her, she said, oh, I don't want to have knee surgery. Ah, you know, I said, I don't blame you. I said, but what can you believe God for? I said, maybe God wants to use this as a testimony for someone else and maybe for you. And I said, well, why don't we believe this? I said, you believe doctors are called by God? She said, yes. You believe that they do the work of the Lord, you know, when, when they're, you know, born again, of course. Yes, you know. All right. Why don't we believe that you'll go through this surgery without a glitch and you'll get healed faster than, than anybody else and people will see it? So we believe that way. We prayed that way. She went in. She had a room with someone in physical therapy who was in their 70s who had the same procedure before her. Peggy gets out. She's all excited, has another one done, goes back into the same room where that lady's still recovering, and then gets out before her. Tell me that's not God. Maybe it happens right here, but maybe it happens out there. What's so important about it happening out there? Others. People see the power of God. You didn't see that they say, okay, well, let's gather in the temple so we can have miracles. Peter and John one day. What, where were they going? They were going to the temple to pray, right? And the guy asked for silver, silver and gold have I none. As such as I have give by thee, in the name of Jesus Christ, Rise up and walk. That happened outside the temple. It happened outside the four walls. We need to be taking the life of God outside of these four walls. What you're here for is to be encouraged, to be equipped for the work of the ministry so we can go out there and get the lost. We can get the dying. We can get the broken. We can get the hurting. That's what it's all about. We need to press forward. You can't go to God based upon somebody else's experience. You have to go to God based upon your belief in his word. Well, you know, they had an experience. I'm going to go up there because, you know, God's not a respected person. I heard that. No, you need to go up there saying, not only can God, because everybody knows God can. Well, most people know. God can. I want to know, will God? That's another question. If you don't know that God will, it's hard to believe that he will. 
because compare, oh, the reason why this happened to me because, you know, I did this and I did that. It's not based upon anything that you've done. It's based upon everything Jesus has done. Why doesn't change your current circumstance? And if anything, it makes it into a big pig pen, kind of like the prodigal son. He was eating down there with the pigs and and all that stuff, and, and, and his slot was worse than the pig slot. And all of a sudden, he had a bing. You know what? If I go home to my daddy, and I just become one of his slaves, they eat better than these pigs eat. I'll just go be a slave for my daddy. So instead of asking why, ask what? See, it was the what that brought him the answers. It wasn't the why. What do I do? What do I know? What do I know? I know that my daddy is going to feed me. I know my daddy owns cattle on a thousand hills. I know my daddy, everything belongs to him. The next thing that you can write down is this. Paul's crisis inspired others to fulfill their mission. See, God will do the same with you. He will take everything that you're going through to use it to inspire others. That's what he'll do. Philippians 14 through 18, it says, And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. Because I stood for the gospel of Christ, he said. Because I stood in my chains, it inspired other people. Because I went to jail without any bail. It inspired people because I stood up and people changed. God is going to do the same thing today. See, we are in some dangerous times in America, and that's the truth. And if you're not standing for the gospel now, when things get worse, instead of standing for the gospel, you're going to run and you're going to hide. It's time to stir up your faith. It's time to stir up the the God on the inside of you, your spirit and his spirit communing together and having a heart and a passion for people for the lost. I don't care if you're Baptist, Methodist, Pentecostal, Lutheran, denominational, non. I could really care less about that. The first thing I care about is do you have Jesus? That's the number one thing because I know if you truly have Jesus and if you're truly born again and you truly seek God, then you know what's going to happen? You're going to get everything that you need along the way. Well, Pastor, what about spiritual gifts? I believe in them. How many of them? Every single one of them. Why? Because they're in the Bible. Period. Every single one of them. Well, you know, they died out with apostles. Where does it say that? When that which is perfect comes, then that which is in part shall be done. Well, then if you want to say that, well, oh, you know, the tongue stuff, it, it died out because, you know, uh, uh, the Bible came and that's what was perfect. Okay, well, that means knowledge has passed away. That means prophecies passed away. You, you, you see what I'm saying? That's all part of spiritual giftings. Well, Pastor, I don't know about that stuff. It, it kind of freaks me out. Trust me, it freaked me out too. It, it, it did. Does it anymore? No. But you know what I'm careful of? I'm careful of people doing it right or wrong. And what I mean is this. I'm careful, like say, if I'm talking right now, somebody shouldn't just get up and overtake what I'm saying. That's out of order. God is a God of order. But if somebody starts speaking, there better be an interpreter. There better be. Because if there's not, we're out of order. And we need to do things in order. That's how it is. Pastor, have you ever seen that before? Yeah, I have. I have. 
And you know what? When, it, when it's truly God, it is amazing. It's, it's crazy. We had a lady here about uh, nine, ten years ago, and the church was faced in a different way, and she just started going, you know, something like, you know, I mean, I don't know exactly what she was doing. She was just speaking out. And so I'm waiting for an interpreter, and there was none. I'm going, oh, I'm going to go talk to her. And I did go to talk to her. I just didn't say anything. And the reason why is because the lady that was coming to church, it was her last day, not hers, but the other lady that uh, she was basically ministering to, and I didn't know she was ministering to her and her husband, but it was her last day. The husband came for the very first time, and he just wanted to just be there with her, and then they were taken off to Georgia. So when I get up to her, I'm, I'm about ready to talk to her. The guy turned over. He goes, where did you learn Portuguese? He said, that was the most beautiful Portuguese I've ever heard, praising and exalting God. Do you remember the book of Acts, chapter 2? It said they all heard him in their own language. It didn't say they were all speaking different languages. They might have all been saying, yabba dabba doo, yabba dabba doo, yabba dabba doo, and they heard it in Chinese, and they heard it in Russian, and they heard it in Greek, and they heard it in Hebrew, because it was the Spirit of the Lord that made them understand and, and perceive what was going on. Well, pastor, that sounds weird to me. It sounds weird to me too, in my flesh. But I have to say that God takes the foolish things of the world to confine the, confound the wise. That's what the Bible says. See, you can influence others to fulfill their call. If Paul can do it in your chains, you can do it out here. If Patrick Mullins can do it sitting right there, you can do it too. If Michael Ori can do it sitting right there, you can do it too. If Ashton can do it sitting right there, if Elizabeth can do it sitting right there, if Billy, you can do it sitting, other people can too. Because we're all looking to someone. Find someone who inspires you to do and then go inspire somebody else. And I'm not going to get through this one. Verse 15, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. So the whole reason why Paul went to jail, the whole reason why he was a convict, was to defend the gospel of Christ Jesus. He says, the former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. In other words, there's some people out there, they're preaching the gospel, they have wrong motivation about it. And in their motivation, they might be jacking you up and trying to make you look bad. He said, but, verse 18, what does it matter? What? God, you know they're talking about me. What does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. And yes, I will continue to rejoice. So Paul, what he did in your notes, he found a good reason to celebrate. So no matter what trouble you're going into, find a reason to celebrate. You know, all of us can find something to celebrate, every single one of us. I'm going to give you a little secret. It has to do with praise. In your notes, praise always sets your heart on the answer, not the problem. Well, why? 
The definition of praise, in a nutshell, is bragging on God. When you start bragging on how good God is, you're a good, good father. It's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am. When you start bragging on God, you're bragging on the answer. You're bragging on the solution. You're not running to your problem. Praise is the key. When they tried to shut him up, when they tried to shut him down for preaching the gospel, it ignited a revolution in the hearts of people. It ignited a revival that happened in the church. What the enemy meant for evil, God turned it for good. He turned it for good. See, you start, what the enemy means for evil, God will turn it for good. He will turn it for good. Start singing those things. When the problems come up, even though this problem looks like evil, God's going to turn it for good. Turn it for good. Why? Because he's a good, good father. Amen? So look what Paul says in verse 19. He says, For I know that through your prayers, God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope, you know, people say, well, you can't expect God. I eagerly expect and hope. What's that hope? It, it's not, I'm a hoping and a wishing and a praying and a thinking. I'm a hope. No, it's confident expectation of good. So I eagerly expect the confident expectation of the good that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. See, the problem that you have, it's going to advance the gospel and God's deliverance in your life. The problem that you have brings me to our last point. A setback is a setup for a comeback. That's what it is. See, Paul could have sat in prison. He could have said, well, my ministry's over. I'm closing down shop, Lord. Just bring me home. I'm ready to go home. But no, he didn't say that. What he did is he looked at the, moment, the momentary setback. He turned that setback into a comeback. He said, you know what? If I can't preach out there, I'm going to preach in prison. And I'm going to get these palace guards saved. As a matter of fact, the way it worked with Paul is they would, they would chain him to a guard. He would get the guard saved. They'd have to chain him to a different one. So he was getting the palace guard born again. See, if Paul can do it from jail, you can do it from where you're at. And the result was revival, and the result still will be revival. You remember Joseph? He was sold into slavery. His brothers actually, they told his dad that he was dead and all these things and what had happened. But a couple years later, or years later, He's the number two guy over all of Egypt. They show up asking for food because there was a famine in all of the land. And listen to how Joseph responded. In Genesis 50, verse 20, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. I'm not going to get into the rest of it in your notes. You should have the rest of it. If you don't have notes, pick some up. Huh? They don't have notes? You don't have all that? Okay, well, let me, 
Let, write this down. Romans 8, 28 through 31. Romans 8, 37 through 39. Philippians 21 to the end of the chapter. 1, 21 to the end of the chapter. We'll be picking up probably chapter 2 when we come back. But what, Pastor, you, you, you're, not, you, you're taking the scripture and you're like doing line upon line, kind of. I'm not just dissecting it like a scientist. I'm just putting it to practical application. But I'm using the scripture in its context. And that's what we're going to do. If you're here today, with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, or you say, listen, Pastor Rick, I would, I asked him into my heart at some point in time, but I would just like to tell you I'm not where I need to be, and I want to, I want to make that decision to change today. If you're out in the parking lot, if you're watching online, if that's you, do me a favor. Just raise your hand. Anybody at all? Thank you. Anybody? Go ahead. Now you can put them down. It doesn't say if I saw your hand. It says it talks about the heart. So we're going to pray out loud. If you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved. Heavenly Father, today I receive Jesus as my Lord and my Savior. Today, I will not be the same. In Jesus' name, amen.